What did Jesus really mean when he said faith without works is dead? I mean, what if people are really actually getting this one insanely wrong, taking our eyes off of Jesus and putting them on a bunch of works? You know, I've always been surprised at how many people have completely missed the point that James was trying to make when he wrote this. But before I tackle that, I want to point out a few scriptures that do talk about works. Uh, I know from Acts 17, 25, he says, God is not served with human hands as if he needed anything. I know from Romans chapter four, verses four and five, he says, now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, the one who does not work, but trust God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. And then Jesus wants to chime in a little bit. He has some input about works. We've got these religious, arrogant, Pharisees, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, religious elite. Uh, uh, they're trying to challenge him, asking him to defend what the works are that please God. And if there's ever a time, you know, that you could uh, start telling people they need to do a bunch of churchy works, you know, this would be it. But notice what Jesus says. And this is John chapter six, verse 28 and 29. It says, then they asked him, what must we do to do the works of God that requires, right? And Jesus answered them, the work of God, uh, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. That's the work that pleases God. So all through the scriptures, I feel like Jesus and the apostles, they're working overtime to say, get over ourselves and stop obsessing over this idea that somehow our outward performance is pleasing God or, or earning us rewards. And then we come across James 2 and everybody gets pumped up, tossing around a single verse. Faith without works is dead. And that's their go-to verse, right, on everything. It's, it was such a weak uh, way to make your case, one verse out of context. And they're seemingly not questioning how James could say that when it flies in the face of everything else I just shared in the scriptures. It's like reading 10 verses that say the sky is blue and then finding one verse that says the sky is green and then running around ignoring the other 10 verses and just saying that bottom line, the sky is uh, green. So was Paul talking about someone whose faith was alive while they were working, and then suddenly it just died when things slowed down? I don't think so. Paul's talking about faith that was never alive in the first place. Remember, according to Jesus, the work that pleases God is that you believe. So James is not talking about a laundry list of man-made religious human effort works uh, as we pound our chest, running around trying to convince people they need to do more and they need to be more, lest their faith be dead. And he literally spells this out before the end of this letter. If you just keep reading to the bottom of chapter two, he goes on, he gives two amazing examples, right? Should smack us right in the face and have us questioning, why in the world are we teaching this work to be about a human effort, even after what we know Jesus said. Example number one is about Abraham being made righteous. Why? The scriptures say because he believed God, verse 23. Now, I know a bunch of people are trying to say that James is talking about human works, and I guess they just have to gloss over verse 21 because now they got to tell everybody, well, James says you need to put your son up on an altar to sacrifice him. They slide right past that because it seems a little out there, right? And if, if you know what I'm talking about. And how many times did Abraham do this? 
He did it one time. And that's the point. This wasn't about an ongoing laundry list of Abraham pumping out a bunch of work so his faith wouldn't be dead, right? This was a simple message that Abraham believed God, and that's how Abraham was made righteous. It's about a decision. The work is a decision for Jesus. So, of course, we're not uh, we're not called to sacrifice our children. We're, we're called to believe God. And on this side of the cross, God is teaching us that um, we become, our faith becomes alive, and we become alive in Christ when we believe what happened 3,000 years ago. Jesus was born of a virgin. He died on a cross for our sins. He had the power to be the payment for our sins, and he's resurrected three days later, which also illustrates that he has the power. If he has the power to save his life, he has the power to give us eternal life. So that's the work that brings your faith alive. They, it's when you believe. It's a salvation verse, friends. But then we get uh, to this really interesting example. Example number two, it's a prostitute. Her name is Rahab. I mean, now there's so many amazing men right from the Old Testament that James could have used if his goal is to say, so you need to get out there. You got to do more. You got to be more. You got to try harder. How about Moses? I mean, the guy built an ark. How about Daniel? How about King David? But no, James uses a prostitute whose only work in all of scripture is opening a door. And I don't think that was a mistake because I think by using this example, it debunks this idea that James is talking about fleshy works, right? If your goal is to push human works, then no one in their right mind is going to choose a prostitute to set the stage for a works-based message. And the answer is nobody would, right? And so what was James's intent? What do we know about Rahab? Well, Rahab was considered righteous for her single act of opening a door because she believed that the God of the Jews was real and she helped them escape. So if this were about a bunch of works, then it would be the absolute lamest work on the planet and every one of us could accomplish it. Accomplish it. If that's the model, just open a door. That's it. That's all you got to do. And we wouldn't even be talking about all this works discussion. But we're, we're, we're glossing over the story about Rahab because it doesn't fit the narrative that's being pushed by these people that want to take your eyes off of Jesus and get you obsessed with yourself and get obsessed with your performance. But if we're intellectually honest with ourselves, we should conclude that, you know what, this work is just as Jesus described. It's about trusting him, right? The work that pleases God is that you believe in the son whom he sent. Put plainly, this work is a decision for Jesus. The demons, right? They believe Jesus is real, but they did not make a decision for him. They hate Jesus. You can say you believe in God, but listen, if you reject Jesus, you don't make a decision for Jesus, then your faith is indeed dead, right? You So your faith isn't dead and it cannot save you. That's what we're supposed to be learning when we read James chapter two. We learn that faith is alive when we make a decision for Jesus. That's when it becomes alive. And that's what James is trying to teach us. That's what Jesus told us that makes our faith alive. That's what the apostle Paul taught us. So we need to go back to James chapter two and say, hey, I saw what James said. I'm, I saw what Jesus said. I saw what the Apostle Paul said. I saw what we read in Acts that God is not served with human hands. So why in the world is James saying something that literally flies in the face of everything else that everyone had to say? 
And the answer is it doesn't fly in the face of everything that we've learned and all the rest of scripture. It fits perfectly because the work is not a work of human flesh. It's a work of trusting Jesus. God bless you.